Welcome to the Parker Avery Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com. Last week, I got on a Teams call with Senior Director Rob Oglesby, along with Les McNeil, who is the Chief Technology Officer and Founder of Impulse Logic. Impulse Logic provides advanced predictive analytics powered by artificial intelligence to create the optimal product flow through the store, with the objectives of ensuring product availability for both in-store and online customers, reducing waste, improving labor efficiency, and of course, increasing profits. Les, Rob, and I talk about the causes of in-store inventory issues, as well as how changes to the overall store inventory paradigm and business processes, as well as the Impulse Logic solution, can help drive better results, not just in the store, but throughout the entire supply chain and even back into merchandising and assortment planning decisions. What's the biggest challenge facing the retail sector regards to operational performance? What are you all hearing and seeing out in the marketplace. Rob, do you want to pick up or do you want me to start? Go ahead. I'll let you start. I'll chime in. Okay. So from what we're seeing at present, availability is the biggest challenge and it it impacts everything. And it's everything to do with customer loyalty. It's everything to do with customer perception of the store. All those issues are, are related to that. And it's been exacerbated entirely by the growth of online. And I can actually quote that we are working in a county in the UK that's now running close to 40% in dollar terms of sales is online. And the online picking is going still from the sales floor. And the challenge that that creates is simply shelf out of stocks and not just shelf out of stocks for, you know, a minute or two. We're talking potentially, you know, 15% of the assortment being out of stock which is the fastest moving products by definition, for for often for hours during the shopping day, which fundamentally means the in-store shopper who actually currently delivers the profitability in terms of return on inventory is seeing out of stocks on the shelf and not making a purchase, while the online, which doesn't make a lot of money, is exhausting the inventory on the the sales floor. So it's a perfect storm. You're exhausting your inventory on the lowest, lowest profitability level, and you're creating out of stocks for the people that make your money, which then translates into the bigger picture is that every out of stock on the shelf that doesn't generate a purchase because it's empty, an empty shelf, is not being recorded as demand. And now the scale of unrecorded demand due to shelf out of stocks is roughly somewhere around about that 15 to 20%. Of, of total sales. And, and that's distorting the entire supply chain planning. And, and then it's exacerbated further by substitutions, which get recorded through the point of sale and therefore get recorded into demand. All of these things then just turn all the central forecast and planning upside down. And so now 
what's coming to the store in, in no way balances with the demand. But worse, the labour capabilities in the store simply are at a point of what I describe as thrashing, where you simply can't replenish, you don't have labour resource available to replenish the shelves as fast as they're being exhausted. And what makes this really silly is I could say today in, in online orders being received today to say be picked tomorrow morning between say 6 a.m. and 7 a.m., I could see 70 cans of a particular product and we'll say Campbell's tomato soup. In that batch, there'd be 70 cans. The actual shelf doesn't hold. The facing count doesn't even run to 70 cans. So we're in a situation where we already know today that we're gonna run a batch tomorrow that will exhaust the facing. But we still do it because we have no other choice. Yeah, it really speaks to the ripple effect that in my mind kind of starts with, it's the online customer, right? So it gets back to the fact that the store is no longer a one channel, one trick pony. It's, it's a multi-channel, multi-trick pony. It's, it's there to serve the person standing in it and the person who's virtually standing in it. That really impacts labor because now all of a sudden you've got associates in a store who used to take care of customers, maybe restock shelves, you know, those kinds of basic things in, in the grocery world, obviously turning product and making sure that expired items are, are, are removed off the shelf and replaced and, and rotating and so forth. All that, all that wonderful things that have to happen. But now all of a sudden there, somebody's got to go in and actually shop for the customer. So there's that core piece there. And then I think, again, what that then ripples out to, it's, it's partly, where am I going to get the product? You know, if I get it from the sales floor, then not only am I taking product away from the, the, the in-store shopper, but I'm also getting in the way of an in-store shopper potentially. So my customer experience is also going to be impacted. The in-store customer experience, I should say, will be impacted. And then with the inventory being, you know, a, a constant battle in terms of the accuracy, putting in buffers or, or, or safety stock levels just to, just to account for that so you don't overpromise to a customer that's online, you know, those things add up to, to, to impacts to the operation as well and, and ultimately potentially force you to you know, to oversupply a store, which then further erodes profits. So there's a lot of pieces and parts here that are, are all heavily interrelated, but being able to attack and become profitable or at least limit your losses, I guess, is probably the first step as it relates to, you know, dealing with the online shopper, I think is at the center point. And that just requires a new paradigm as it relates to, you know, how a store operates, because it's just not the same store that we had 20 years ago. Exactly. And, and just taking this a step further, the, the thing that we need to, that we must recognize going forward, if the brick and mortar store is to remain relevant in, and we've all seen Amazon just announces closing down all of its bookstores. It's going to focus on food, grocery, and general merchandise. So it, it's it's very focused now. It's a changing world that's continued to change, and the growth of online is continuing to grow. But what we have to recognize is the customer isn't an either or. He or she is not someone that says, well, I only shop in store or I only shop online. We're talking about a local store is supporting a local customer 
who, who can freely choose to say, I will do online for part of my shopping and in-store for part, or this week I'll do it all online, next week I might do it all in-store. It's entirely up to the customer. The customer is the customer, and that's the person that has to be pleased. But the circumstances are that we need to be able to say, if the customer, however that customer chooses to shop, whether it be online or in-store, that they get the same price and they get the same quality product. And to some extent, doing that, that's only achievable if the online is realised from the store, from the same inventory supply that's also restocking the sales floor for the in-store customer. And so this starts to get down to what does a store look like, which is your point on the store paradigm. And then we start to talk about, well, how do you make label work? Because the first thing that people react to is, well, you're asking me to build a bigger back room. No, we're not at all. You're still only selling the same amount of product through the store, same as before. It's just being segmented. And we're having location-based inventory understand what product needs to be where. Is it on the sales floor or is it in the back room? And in what quantities relative to the varying demand, whether it's online demand or whether it's in store. So where does machine learning come into this, which is one of the things that everyone asks, it, it's looking at how do we optimize the determination of what quantities need to be where, and at the same time, how do we use machine learning to actually optimize labor utilization to manage this changed environment? And one very simple example of machine learning that we're already applying is the ability to remove visual gap checking and scanning completely from the sales floor. Currently, the only way that we know that a product is out of stock and needs to be replenished is to see the gap. And that requires people to walk the aisles and that labor is not available. And we apply machine learning fairly cleverly to be able to make that determination as to at what point a product will go out of stock and to ensure that that product and any other products in that sales floor department that might be heading towards out of stock in, in a not too distant additional timeline are automatically generated into a pick list that's, that is replenished from the back room in a controlled environment by a team that's responsible for that who will then replenish the sales floor accordingly and remove all of that inventory concern from the sales team on the sales floor so that they can focus on customer service, which has virtually disappeared in food grocery right now. Find someone that can help you. Next to impossible. They're all doing picking for online. As you say, there's a ripple effect and it touches everything. So we are talking labor utilization, availability, overall costs. And the, the greatest challenge is nobody has as yet been able to find a way to keep the online cost of fulfillment at a level to derive real profitability right. and to a very large extent that's that needs to be done through a structured back room it cannot be done through picking from the sales floor and to build on that Les, i mean i think there's a couple of things that that you've said first and foremost is with with the added demands and the added complexity of labor in the store to do more things than they were doing in the past, a be becoming a picker, becoming a shopper for 
for a customer that wasn't done in the past, right? That didn't happen before buy online or order de delivery or curbside or you know all those different flavors of store fulfillment, which kind of further indicates that when a, when an employee does something in the store, it needs to be intentional and purposeful. So that's the big thing here, right? You're saying I'm not walking the aisles, roaming the aisles, looking for out of stocks. Instead, there's a tool set there that helps understand that this out of stock is getting ready to occur or has occurred or whatever. And that's where we need to focus our energy and our effort. And really to make sure we put the right amount of product on that shelf, not overstock it just because it can fit 45 units. You know, if if really all we need is 20, let's just put 20 out there because that's the right number to, to, to hit on. One other thing that I want to touch on too that that I think is 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 relevant here and you, you touched on it a, a few minutes ago as relates to substitutions. And substitutions are a necessary evil at, at this point in time because you know you still want to save the sale. And if the customer says it's okay to substitute my product, then, then so be it. But there's different flavors of substitutions that we need to probably you know discuss here. You know, the, number one is the the substitution from an online customer that says, this is what I asked for. It's okay if you replace it with something of like quality or what, not quality or, or quantity or, you know, just as long as they get the same quantity or whatnot. The good news about that is, is that if that's what happens, you get the original demand signal and you get the fulfill item. And there's a system that's kind of tracked both of those. So at least you've got some feedback into what should I have been in stock in, what wasn't I in stock in, but what I ended up fulfilling from, and really kind of equalize that, you know, those two things. is This isn't what the customer asked for, but I sold one of these, or this is what went out the door. The customer asked for this thing over there. Having system at tracking because it's an online and everything is, you know, keyed in is great. But you can't account for that customer standing in front of the shelf, seeing it out of stock, and then either choosing to make the alternate purchase themselves, you don't know what they wanted in the first place if they didn't get what they wanted. There's nothing in the system anywhere at this point in time that's going to indicate that unless we knew we were out of stock and we've got other ways to essentially you know, figure out and calculate what that would have been. And that's really important because that also is a massive issue with regards to putting the wrong product in the store at the wrong quantity. And, you know, there's other ways that this can also happen, especially on checkout. You know, one, of the, one of the biggest bugaboos in retail is the dreaded quantity key. So a, a customer walks to the front end, they've got a whole variety of different flavors of this, you know, basically the same size, but it's different soups. They're all Campbell's soups. They all look the same color-wise and so forth. One's got celery, one of them's got, you know, tomato, one's chicken noodle, et cetera, et cetera. Front end cashier is like, well, I've, I've, I'm measured on how fast I got to get these person checked out. There's 40 cans there. Yeah. They just scan one of them, key in 20, all the whole lot go. And then next thing you know, you've got demand for all this chicken noodle soup that was actually a combination <laughs> of all these other soups. Those are the kinds of operational challenges you know, that, that are that are there, that have been there forever. I mean, they're not going to necessarily go away. You know, there's other things you got to do to fix that. But my, my point being is that it all ends up impacting the accuracy of the inventory, which then the inaccurate inventory then drives back bad signals up the supply chain. And we end up supplying the store with the wrong stuff. 
Yep. So, so, so at the end of the day, this is all part and parcel of this paradigm shift that the retail or you know, store has to go through. And realizing, of course, you still have a volatile environment. There's still customers in your store. You can't control those customers. And you don't want to. <laughs> They're there for me. Yeah. And yeah. I have a question about the substitution component of it, because one of the things we both touched on was the fact that if, if I go to buy my Campbell's soup, cream of celery, and it's not there, so I choose the store brand, that that's not recorded as a lost sale from the public's, or sorry, from the Campbell's. Campbell's. Mm. But is there machine learning on the online component <clears throat> built in to reflect that demand maybe? And I know that these are viable substitutes and this is what the person online person ordered, but it was substituted this many times across the fleet of stores from the online picker. Is there any logic built in, machine learning built in to accommodate for that and to make it smarter in that sense for the in-store shopper demand. Yeah, for, yeah. So in the online, yes, it's easy to do because we see the order. Therefore, right. we're able to determine what they primarily wanted and then you know what was substituted because it simply wasn't available. For the in-store shopper, it's a slightly different uh, approach. The first step is to assure that what's in the assortment is available. So the first step is not to go out of stock on the sales floor. Now, now the machine learning is starting to learn the the customer preferences and as long as you're seeing as long as the product's not out of stock technically speaking what's gone through the point of sale is an accurate determination of demand because they've gone to the shelf they wanted they wanted chicken noodle soup it was there they bought it and they shipped it through the through the checkout where the problem comes in at present when you've got 15 percent of the assortment out of stock for different periods during the day then we have no ability because we can't know what we don't know. So what you can do is you can start to look at the averages across different stores, but then you've got the impacts of demographics. So from our perspective, the, the starting point is, first of all, to assure availability. And then, as Rob mentioned earlier, the machine learning then starts to look at what quantities are required on the shelf, because part of all of this is, is to do with how do we maximize return on inventory, which is effectively increasing stock turns? Um, you can always increase stock turns and you simply just sell more, but that's that's not necessarily possible unless you want to cut your margin in half. What you're trying to do then is reduce your inventory carry. So the stock turns versus the inventory carry um, then start to give you a better return on investment. So in the context of the, the step change here is we're looking at first of all, assuring availability, and then accurately analyzing the level of, of count that needs to be on the sales floor. Now, this varies day to day. And in, in Slick, we are analyzing that day to day. So we can project that you know overnight, if there's 38 cans on the shelf, even though the facing count might hold, say, 50, we can determine that in the morning, tomorrow, in store, the demand is going to be 33. So we won't do a replenishment to 50. We won't do anything with that. We have enough. Based on that too, is there any kind of margin component built in so that I have a uh, limited quantity of labor hours and I need to be efficient with them? If I have this limited quantity of labor hours, I need to 
focus on the higher margin, higher volume products? Well, there's obviously what we're doing is we're measuring margin because we're going to be able to do the return on investment. So we can make that determination. But what when you think about the way we're doing it, the store layout in the paradigm that we're talking about is you've got the back of stores driving all the inventory movements. The front of store is basically making a determination on at the, at the department level, there might be 30 departments on the sales floor. We are managing the inventory on the sales floor at the department level. So think of 30 departments all running in parallel, all being separately managed, right? The, the whole idea is we, we do not say we will not pick for that product because it's only got a 30% margin versus one that's got 45% margin. Because the reality here is that a customer, even though that product may only generate 30%, that may be critical to the basket. And if the basket, if, if I've gone in to do, say I'm, I'm preparing for a, a, a dinner tomorrow night and I'm going to buy all my ingredients and the one that's the lower margin is not there, I may not buy any of the others. Now we don't have the ability to know that yet so the, the default position is to assure if it's in inventory, it's on the shelf guaranteed. And then we, we move to that. But the way we do the labor performance is that we, first of all, took away all visual gap checking and all self-scanning. It's all done automatically with machine learning. The pick lists are batch generated, so you're limiting the number of journeys from the back room to the sales floor. When we do a pick for a department, it occurs in the back room in the back of store, and it's delivered to the department in planogram sequence. So there's a single pass through that department to replenish what's required. And we only replenish what's required. So, so if, if there's sufficient inventory on the shelf and we're doing a pick list for this department, we'll only pick for the products that are going to go out of stock within the time window that we're trying to make sure they don't go out of stock. Okay. So the, the key here is we're working labor in a completely different way. We're adding massive efficiencies in labor by doing it through control practices in the back room and doing departments. So when you do a replenishment for a department, we're doing the pick in the back room, it's all in the same location. So it's all physically close. And when we go to the sales floor, we're going straight to a department, we just do a planogram run and then we do the replenishments. Now, this has, we're, we're touching on a much, much bigger issue here around process. Right now, if I look at a food grocery retailer, for example, and I say to central management, how many stores have got a good manager, really good manager? And I hear things like, well, 20% more, no, maybe 15. Yeah, maybe 15 is pretty accurate, right? So kind of there's 15% of the stores that have been kind of well-managed because they've got a good manager. There's 85% that kind of limp by. What the whole philosophy around this structure, this paradigm shift, is to actually not just restructure the way the store operates and within the current framework and physical dimensions of the store, because we're not asking you to expand the back room at all. There's no more product coming in. In fact, we're going to make it less. But what we're creating is a standardized labor model across all stores where we've got standard processes. And for the first time in history, Central management can, in fact, evaluate, measure, and make labor determinations centrally that can have a true positive impact on the overall chain. Because right now, they can't do that. It's just wishful thinking. All decision-making centrally comes down to pretty much, well, you know, 
is the manager able to implement this or is the store able to adopt this? And it varies. You know, 2,000 stores, you've got 2,000 different little businesses and they run as well as the store manager runs them. So this is the, the other aspect of this is this massive benefit you get from being able to measure performance truly, how long it takes to do picks of a particular type of product, how fast we're able to do replenishments. All of these things are now measured uniformly across all the stores. And and now for the first time, as I say, you can take a central view and say, okay, we can in fact work labor changes. We are seeing a complete pattern here where the area that we could address for improvement because we're seeing that consistently across all the stores. Where today it's kind of like, well, that's because Bob's running that story has always been good. And, And that, so this is, Again, the ripple effect is enormous here, but it, it crystallizes down to you know having a store structured in such a way that the customer who is local to the store, however they want to shop, whenever they want to shop, can in fact derive it and fulfill the purchase from that store, whether it's online, whether they're the in-store shopper, whether they want it delivered, whether they want to collect it, same product, same service levels, same quality of product in particular, and as near as possible, same price, and as near as possible for the retailer, retain margin so that that could be the same. And that's that's organising the back room to efficiently run online fulfilment is the first step to getting the margin regained that's been lost in online. Because right now, as you, you can see, everyone's now starting to charge for deliveries because there's, there's just not enough margin the way the inflation's going. So these are all areas of, of focus that are in the product and have been in the product and designed for you know, quite some time because we were, we were planning for a future around 24, 25, where 25% of store sales will be online. We've exceeded that. And we're in 2022. And so there, the reality is if the store doesn't change, it will become irrelevant. And, and having dark warehouses set up regionally, and Rob, this is your point from the other day, all that does is add more complexity to the supply chain, more deliveries. And the same old problem is, okay, how do I get the broccoli loose that's been ordered in this online that's going to come from the store? From the sales floor on the store today, and how do I get all of the dog food that's coming from the dark warehouse combined into a single delivery, or combined into a single collection? Yeah. And I had I had Kroger ask that question of me, and the answer was, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. But if you could do it from the store, the answer is, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think obviously dark warehouses. You know, it's another building, another part of the supply chain, more inventory. And, you know, more inventory is, it's sure it's an answer, but it's not a very good one because that's one of the most expensive assets that the, that a retailer has. So that you've got that problem. Yeah. I, I want to touch on a couple of things. You know, number one is the process itself. And, and, and you're right, Les. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot to be said about consistent process that's supported by technology. And I, you know, and that's really kind of what is a nucleus here is that's a consistent process supported by technology that also is measurable. And I think that's helpful. And, and I, you know, in a lot of my experience, you know, some of the pushback is, well, yeah, well, we can't get a store to do that. 
And the fact of the matter is, is that, well, they're doing something. And unfortunately, a lot of what they're doing today is, you know, it's misguided. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're hoping and guessing and so forth, as opposed to really kind of having some knowledge that says, this is what I should be doing. If I focus my energy on here, then we're fine. And I think that gets back to your question, Tricia, about the high margin, low margin product. If it's just the right stuff, they're probably going to be able to do both and, and, and get to both because we're, we're not focusing on anything that really didn't need to be replenished. We're just focusing on the items that need to be. In the right so, quantities. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, I, and I think what happens on top of this is it starts to build. So this becomes kind of a platform or a baseline. Let's get the store stabilized using these new practices first. Because we can then learn from that. And, and a couple of areas where I think we can learn is now we have real demand on product. We know where that demand is, the source of that demand is. So we've got two key factors here. It's either the in-store shopper buys most of this stuff, the online shopper never touches this. For whatever reason, good or bad, doesn't matter, they don't touch it. So obviously, you, know, you, can, you can start to use that to, to delve on how many units of this, of everything in the store do I need? You know, across the board and where should it be? So do I need to put a preponderance of this in the back room and, and go ahead and, and might not expand, but at least use my, more of my backroom storage for this subcategory of products because this is the core, this is a core product that goes online. And I, if I never actually present it to, and there's enough on the sales floor to, to take care of it, then I, I get that additional efficiency. I can just rip through the back room as, I, as I'm picking take care of as much as I can out of the back room, get that that part of the order stage, and then just cherry pick the store for whatever's left over, the, the add-ons that that customer's looking for, and I impact that store shelf the least amount. A big factor here is let's, again, if we know what our rate of sale is, and we know it on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as a week-to-week -week basis, and we understand what our replenishment times are to the store, delivery times are to the store, that allows us to start to, again, slowly but surely get our safety stock levels drop down. Yeah. And the return on investment, because the return on inventory there starts to accelerate, and that's where your gross margin return on investment starts to really take off. What's also interesting about this is I can actually offer potentially a bigger assortment to my consumer in the store because rather than four facings, I can actually drop it to one facing and add three other items next to it and still be in stock the whole time and give them a better selection and a better in-store experience and, and actually touch more customers. In, in some of my experience, some retailers have literally 60 or 70 different versions of planograms out there, you know, in, in certain categories to handle different markets, different diet demographics and so forth. Those and, and think about that merchant's got to manage 50 or 60 different versions of this. You know, it, and I'm not to say that that's not going to continue to happen, but you know, if there's a lot more dynamic information coming back to them to be able to make intelligent decisions, and then the store begins to slowly but surely morph. And ultimately, if a store ends up being a heavy, heavy online shop shopper, that might actually, you know, potentially drive some decisions further down the path that says, you know what, we actually do need more backroom space. Without taking away from the you know the in-store customer, we can actually start to shift the, the layout the, the the layout of the store and what's presented, what's available for the customer shopping experience versus what's in the back room. 
because the reality is, is that most of our activity is the online shopper picking for them and it's a lot more efficient to not even present that stuff to the customer in the first place. So I, I guess where I'm going with this is it, it's a building block, right? This is ground zero, start here, then start to look at the possibilities. And now you've, you've completely morphed the store in, you know, in a period of time that it actually becomes a huge profit center back to where it needs to be, regardless of how the shopper was there and you're building on the asset you already have versus having to go out and get new assets, which is again, the dark warehouse or whatever it may be. I mean, you're, you're able to leverage that store to its fullest potential and along the way, reduce your inventory carry and, and make your supply chain more efficient simply because there's less stuff on a truck coming into. And that's. Yeah. And, and, and thinking of the back room a little bit further, the way we've, and Tricia, you probably haven't seen this so far, but what, the way we structure the back room is is pretty much the way most advanced retailers do so, which is that you have the products in the back room are, are largely aligned with the departments on the sales floor that they support. In other words, if I've got four days worth of inventory in a delivery and I can hold one day's worth of inventory on the on the shelf facing on the sales floor, then the, you know, by definition, I am initially retaining three days worth of inventory in the back back room, and if it and all of that inventory for that particular department on the sales floor will be grouped together. We we simply have said that's a location, and if there's thirty departments on the sales floor, there's going to be thirty locations. Now, if you add chillers into it, chillers support multi-location because they do packaged meals and you know packaged meats and produce and dairy and so on so it can it can hold a number of departments but fundamentally is there is this relationship between location in the back room and a sales floor department now what happens in the online and it's a little of what i touched on earlier in the one hour batch of 100 orders on between 6 a.m and 7 a.m to be picked tomorrow what will happen is in that in that hour again i'll use campbell's tomato soup of the 100 customers 32 wanted to buy campbell's tomato soup and in aggregate across the 32 there were 50 cans so what happens is we take that 100 orders and we then sort it into location and what transpires is a pick in the canned canned soups location for 50 cans of campbell's tomato soup with a generated replacement list that says this is how the the 50 cans is to be allocated across the 32 customers who are making that order. By doing that, we can take that batch of all those orders and drive them concurrently across the backroom locations. So all the locations teams are picking at the same time in order to complete their part of that, that batch for the one hour batch between six and 7 a.m and their placements go into the customer totes. They just cycle them through and it's done. Now, what, what this does is twofold. It replicates an MFC, but without the expensive automation, but it's doing it from a warehouse that's also supporting the product to the sales floor, which the MFCs don't do. They just do the online. What MFCs do in order to enable multiple picks for a customer, is they carry more inventory. In the case of the model that we're talking about, we are not carrying any more inventory whatsoever. We're reducing the inventory progressively to match the demand. 
So that's a very key point. But the labor efficiencies are, are, are extreme. But what it does do is it creates a backroom structure where the people that are employed there are warehousing staff. And each location is a small warehousing team responsible for the ownership and performance of its inventory. It's doing, they are doing the picks, they're doing the replenishment of the sales floor, they're doing the fulfillment for the online. They own that. So now we're starting to create a, a job that has a career path. It has a skill set associated with it. It has a very high, high rate of reward relative to the impact it has on the overall store performance. So instead of you know, shelf stacking being something you do until you find a real job, we are now bringing in a different quality of, of, of labor, which then progressively improves productivity across all stores, because remember, we've made this uniform across all stores. So this, this is fairly profound in the impacts that it can have in, in labor retention, skill set retention, and, and evolving, you know, a far better team that gives, and remember what's happening now on the sales floor, the people on the sales floor are salespeople. They're doing customer facing service. Their role is to understand the product, make recommendations, answer questions. They are valuable too. It's a different role. Right now, their job is pick some online if you can, look at the empty shelves, run to the back room. Perpetual inventory is the, is the beginning and end of every bad process that's in retail. Because right now, I can do anything with inventory. You know, you know I find I'm out of stock. I just go and grab 10 from the back room because it's all in one big bucket. There's no control whatsoever. And, and it, the inefficiencies around both labor and also inventory precision, immense coming all from the perpetuation of perpetual inventory. Yeah. You've got to get off that. Back to the labor component of it. You just spoke about the roles changing and having a career path. If you look at today's situation and then your Nirvana situation with this intelligent picking and intelligent replenishment to the sales floor and more efficient use of inventory and more efficient use of labor. How much of a labor change is it? If you look at your labor spend, would it be, are we increasing labor? Are we decreasing labor? Are we staying the same, but using it way more efficiently? What is that like? Okay, we, we are reducing labor because the first thing we're doing is we're not requiring as many people on the sales force. That's the first thing. Now, are we increasing labor in the back room? No, because you can't actually add, you can't just pile people in. What right. you've got to do is, is structure it and do it with process. Now, do I believe that the there'll be a reduction in labor in the back room? Yes, but let me sort of add a little bit of, to this thread. Everyone has a perception when I used to first present this was that, I was asking people to do an awful lot more than they used to do. Now, that's not the case. If, if you look at what retail has been for 80 years in chain stores, it's been getting product from the storage in the back, the surplus inventory in the back room onto the shelf so people can buy it. Forget online, it never existed back in the old days. Now, what we're really doing is saying the same thing is we're still just doing the same process, but we're doing it in a much more organized way. So right now, when you go to find a product, there is a, a device in your hand that says, here's the address. 
So you can go straight to where that product is. You know exactly, and what you're doing, you're controlling that you're getting the oldest first. That's all under control. So you know exactly where the oldest is. You've got a count to pick, which tells you this is the quantity that's actually needed. No estimates or anything like that. And then it'll show you what's going to be left of that product after you've done that pick. This is on the screen. And the only added thing, the one more thing that we're asking people to do is simply to verify that the count the system says is the what should be there after you've done this pick is the count that's there. If it's not, you correct it. As soon as you correct that, that records an inventory variance that we've corrected. And this way, we're always correcting any errors in the backroom inventory. Because remember, DC deliveries to backroom have got a 5% error rate in every delivery. And so it's perpetuating inventory count errors all the time. So we're correcting that. And then overnight, when we're doing replenishment to shelf, overnight, that's the time at which we correct any shelf errors. And so we're continually restoring accuracy and maintaining accuracy of inventory between sales floor and back of store. Now, that that then enables us when, we're, when we look at an online order, because remember, we're, we, our machine learning is giving forward demand, both online and in-store shopper, that we can pretty much say that if you're ordering for tomorrow for a batch to be picked at 8 a.m. today, I can tell you that inventory will be available. Now I can tell you that. Without substitutions, I can tell you that. If, there, if it isn't available, then at the point of order, we can do a substitution choice. But at that, at that point of order, you will know that the product's going to be available. And right now, no one can tell you that. Yeah, I, I think from a labor perspective, yeah, a lot of what needs to happen in, in this sort of a situation is you got to get in, you got to understand what the current labor model looks like and the location where you're going into. So you know what sort of a delta you're looking for, because most have sort of an inventory team that do some of this work. But again, the downfall of that team and what they're the tool set that they've got to work with is their eyes and their hands right. and their feet. And they don't have the benefit of being able to instead say okay i've got this list and this this list that i'm working right now is actually well put together well thought through well organized both from a flow me through where i'm walking and so forth yeah. as well as as well as just don't do the stuff that you don't need to do stop doing things that aren't adding value because adding four more units to the shelf that was already you know had three days worth of product on it isn't where you need to spend your energy so yeah, it, it really gets down to more intelligently using the labor force, which will then ultimately drive the efficiency to release some of the labor that, that yeah. that's in there. But yeah, I mean, part of this is you, you've got to you've got to do that that shift. Yeah, 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 the structure first. But uh, Trisha, I think last week we touched on one aspect of this that just seems to be everywhere. Wherever we go, we see it. And Rob, you've you've encountered it so many times. It's the DC deliveries to get moved straight from from yeah. the truck to the sales floor. And, and so here it comes, whether you need it or not, we're going to shove all these pallets down into the aisles and, and then we're going to replenish the shelves and we'll fill the shelves up to the maximum facing count, whether it needs it or not. And then the surplus is going to go back to the back room and re, be restocked. Well, that then means we've just leapfrogged existing older inventory that's sitting in the back room that should have gone to the sales floor the new stuff now has leapfrogged that, gone there, comes back. Now we've got more inventory in the back room that didn't need to even go there. So we've moved it there. We've moved it back. 
And now we're gonna move it, where are we gonna put it next time? We're gonna move it back to the sales floor again. Well, we're eliminating that. Yeah. You know, and, and so this is where the labor comes into it. And, and the point that Rob's making is it needs a process to drive that elimination, which doesn't exist today. All right. Now, I think this has been fantastic. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. This has been such a great conversation. I think we could go on for several hours about all the inventory woes and how to solve them. And now that there's real solutions that are available, like Impulse Logic, you know, there's there's hope for this applicability across across all of retail. Now we focused on grocery, but I think you know a lot of other retailers, retail segments can benefit from more efficient use of inventory as well as labor. I completely agree. And it's been a joy. And frankly, it's almost like maybe we ought to have a series with this, <laughs> not just one. Because yeah, to your point, we could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, well, we certainly, we haven't run out, have we, Rob? There's a lot more to talk about. And, and Tricia, thank you for coordinating this. It's been really good and it's been fun. Yeah. So thanks again. Bye. 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 So that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you are interested in learning more about Impulse Logic, please visit their website at impulselogic.com. You can, of course, find the Parker Avery Group at parkeravery.com. And we'd appreciate it if you shared this podcast with your colleagues who may be struggling with inventory or any other retail challenges. We'd love to be part of your solution. Until next time, this is Trisha Gustin, Senior Director of Marketing for the Parker Avery Group. Thank you for listening.